0: Hello and welcome to episode 5 of Bombatho, the La Liga podcast from a Scandinavian perspective. And what a weekend it has been, not only for the Scandinavian players in La Liga, some for good reasons like Martin Odegaard, some for bad reasons like Daniel Vass, who still won't forget Ansu so Fati, uh, but also for Alexander Jonsson. Where on earth are you right now? Where do you find yourself?
1: I find myself with my feet in a swimming pool on a rooftop in Sevilla. <laughs>
0: I'm not even yeah. remotely envious of that, yeah.
1: It's not too bad.
0: So yeah, you end the weekend in Sevilla, you started it somewhere completely different. Where was the first port of call in your journey?
1: Yes, yeah, so I went, went to San Sebastian on Thursday, I think. And then I've been in San Sebastian until Sunday. Saturday was at Real Sociedad Atlético Madrid. Sunday, I jumped on a bus to Bilbao, ran out at San Marmes, into the club shop and got myself an Aluri shirt and then back into a taxi to the airport and then flew to Sevilla for, to go to Betis-Fuetafe. Because that's the things I do.
0: <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, like, first of all, that's excellent. Second of all, you're insane. Uh, and third of all, third of all? Third of all is not a phrase, but let's go with it anyway. Uh, thirdly, I think we should cut to the chase then, because uh, for my money, I think that Real Sociedad against Atletico was one of the games of the weekend, if not the game of the weekend. Um, and you were kind enough to send us a special report from the new Anoeta, if you want to call it that. And also, uh, you chatted with a very special guest, a certain Martin Odegaard. So before we do anything else, let's go ahead and listen to that, your report from Real Sociedad to Atletico Madrid now.
1: So that was some game for La Real and for our Scandinavian. But let's start with talking about the new Anoeta. Yeah, I know it's Reala Arena now, but I'll keep calling it Anoeta, so you just have to deal with it. Anyhow, it was... Incredible! The running tracks are gone and it's like a complete new stadium. I did hear that the Real Sociedad fans had planned to have a TIFO though, but they weren't allowed for some reason, they didn't get permission. However, to be honest, that didn't really matter too much, because everyone in the Basque Country tends to go to matches with their match shirt on. It's like there's a Tifo on them <laughs> during the entire match with just blue and white everywhere. So that was fantastic, and the atmosphere is just incredible. This is really a stadium you have to go to now. It's very different from the old Anoeta, so to say. Um, on the pitch, uh, Alexandrisa got his first start, and now we got to see. Now, when I got to see him uh, play, play live and 70 minutes so more than in the previous matches i can say that a few doubts i had are gone uh he should always be a starter here i have to say uh, what mainly stood out for me was his connections with his teammates and he found especially Oyarzabal several times had it not been for Jan Oldlack, the two of them would have created the first goal together uh, and in the end Isak was involved in the second goal with a header and did an overall very strong performance showing he should be a starter the other scandy we have, Odegaard, he was the best player on the pitch, in my opinion, for sure. He had some fun with Saul there and once again took on a bit of a leadership role, I would say, on the pitch. Uh, if you doubt that he is the real deal before, I can now confirm that he is. Uh, but you know who is better at talking about Odegaard than I am? Well, Odegaard himself, so here he is! Uh, so to start with, you've been here for a short time now, but you already scored two goals and it feels like you've taken a bit of a leadership role on the pitch as well. How do you see your your how your spot in the team like on the pitch?
2: No, I think I, I've had a good start and uh, it's easy for me because the coach is really clear with what he, what he expects from me. And uh, yeah, as I said, uh, here in the press conference, I feel really comfortable here in the team and uh, I'm, I'm happy in the club. So... Um, I uh, feel like the, the role and how the team plays with me perfectly, so then it's, it's easier for me.
1: And it must have been quite an extraordinary match to play today against Atletico Madrid, who are the leaders, the first match here with the, the new stands. Yeah. How was it to be on that, the pitch with that atmosphere?
2: No, it was amazing. Uh, first game at, at, at the new stadium, uh, winning 2-0, scoring goals. So, yeah, one of the, the most happiest uh, days in my life. Uh, And how was the feeling just after the goal? No, it was, it was special, I don't remember actually what I was thinking but uh, I was just really happy and uh, yeah, so it was an, an amazing team. And
1: was it extra special that it was against Atletico Madrid since you've been in the Real Madrid shirt before?
2: Yeah, of course it was special uh, because Atletico is a good team, uh, they were leading uh, the league and uh, so it was a special day, a special game and uh, of course special to, to score as well.
1: And uh, you have a quite young team as La well, so I think it's the youngest team in, in La Liga. Um, how do you think that affects
2: the team? What's the positives and negatives of having a young team? No, I think we have, as you say, a young team, but uh, that, can be, that can be good as well because uh, the players are hungry, the players want to show themselves and, and the players want to develop, so I think that's, that's a good thing. And now we also got some experience uh, in the back and, uh, and, uh, and some more experienced players. so we have a good mix in the, in the team.
1: And Alexander Isak got to do his first match from start today. How do you, how do you think he did?
2: No, I think he did well. Uh, he's always dangerous when, when he's on run, and uh, he's always a threat for the defenders. So I think he did uh, very well.
1: And is it uh, extra help to have another Scandinavian in the team?
2: Yeah, of course, it makes it easier for me to to, to be here and, and to be able to speak with him in my own language. And yeah, we have a good connection on and off the pitch, so it's, it's nice.
1: And you two have quite similar track records, being breaking through so young and, and going out in Europe uh, you're a little bit older do or have you been able to give him some advice
2: uh, yeah we try to give each other advices but uh he, he's a good player he's a smart guy so I think he he knows what he has to, to do and uh, yeah as I said he's, he's a good player and uh, he's, he's gonna be really important for us this year thank nice. you, thank
0: you. Good. Good. all right so that's a lot to unpack and um, very impressed by Martin Erdegard, by the way, he speaks as well as he plays. And from what I understand, he even speaks Swedish, which surprised me somewhat.
1: Yeah, me too. So when we were gonna talk, he was first talking to my Norwegian colleague and uh, in Norwegian, and then I just asked him if he in Swedish if he had some time for me as well, and he started speaking Swedish. Uh, but for you guys to understand, we, we switched it to English. Uh, but apparently I heard he, he's really good at Swedish, and um, uh, from you, I've also heard that apparently Alexander Isak doesn't really understand him when he speaks Norwegian, so <laughs> it might be good, <laughs> good thing that he, he is able to spe- speak Swedish as well.
0: Yeah, I read an interview, I think a few weeks ago. I, I'm sorry, I don't remember where it was. To, so whoever did that interview, great interview, whoever you are, uh, where he explained that he started out when him and Martin, uh, him and Alexander Isak got together at Real Sociedad in pre-season. He started out trying to speak to him in like full Norwegian. And then he realized really quickly that Alexander Ezek was just looking at him with a sort of blank stare and he's like, okay, so I need to Swedish my Norwegian then and change some of the words. But anyway, uh, apart from his linguistic ability, well, you've already talked about it a bit, but we should talk, I think, more about his performance in some detail. Udegaard's, I mean. Um, For me, I feel like it's been Udegaard's month. You know, from getting the, the first goal, his first goal in the Real Sociedad shirt, to then going away with Norway. And when I saw him with Sweden, I think I said in my report at the time, I thought he was unbelievable. And then he pushes on and, and does this against Atletico Madrid, a team who arguably the most difficult team in Europe to try and create against. And he completely pulled them apart. I mean, you were impressed, right?
1: Yeah, for sure. And uh, going into the match, is quite a lot of, so to speak, super talents on the pitch because you have Joe Felix in Atletico Madrid, who we talked a lot about and who has been very impressive this season. Um, then also in, in some regards, Alexander Isaac, uh, Martin, Martin Odegaard is on a completely different level, I'd say almost especially in this match. He uh, was just so outstanding and so important for Real Sociedad and like I said in the report what I think is is one of the key things for Real Sociedad with him as well is that he's taking on a bit of a leadership role on the pitch which is something they've been lacking especially with having such a young team that they have.
0: Yeah I mean the thing that strikes me is that you can give him the ball pretty much anywhere and he'll as the Spanish say he'll resolve the situation for for you if you like like he'll, he'll do something with it he'll put you in a better position than you were before you gave it to him and he's still incredibly young Um, and it already feels like I don't know what you think but it feels to me like he already is a key player for them. I'm kind of curious to like how how have the Real Sociedad fans taken to him because you got to see in the flesh in their first home game of the season how they reacted to him what was the response like?
1: Well they love him Uh, easy as that Uh, the well the atmosphere to to start with was incredible Um, and I also talked to a few few of my friends uh, and, and fellow journalists who are covering Real Sociedad on a daily basis, and they're all so extremely excited about uh, having Adegaard in the team and, and what he's been doing for them. Uh, also spoke to uh, a little bit to uh, Real Sociedad legend, Sabi Prieto, uh, the oh. day before the match. Um, what player? Yeah, um, and he obviously played in a similar, not exactly the same, uh, but a similar position to, to Adegaard. Um, and uh, he's, he's so, he actually said that uh, he thinks that this Real Sociedad team um are not just going to play very enjoyable football but he's very hopeful for them to be able to reach europe this season um and i think uh, after the match against athletic club in san mames i was a little bit doubtful and and worried about them that maybe we've been hyping them a little bit too much uh, and there we got to see like when they get a difficult opponent that this is still a very very young team uh but i think this match against atletic madrid showed that. Perhaps they are ready after all, and they just had a bad day at some
0: this Well, there's so much to unpack there. I mean, first, I want to touch on the the new stadium, if you like, in inverted commas, because even compared to last season, I mean, I, I don't know what it was like in the flesh, but on TV, it, it felt like a new stadium, even compared to the sort of three quarters finished one from last year. Um, when I was watching it, and I was watching especially the players walk out onto the pitch, but then also the atmosphere throughout, I was like, man, I need to get there. And that's not something you said about Ana in the past, because... No. Nope to be without being nasty it was badly designed that running track we've talked about a hundred times now but everyone knows it really sucked the atmosphere out and then the, the second thing i guess i wanted to say that when you touched i never thought about sabi prieto um about but that's definitely there's a vacuum there a creative hole that needs to be filled um and okay odegaard maybe plays a little bit deeper i would say than sabi prieto used to or at least at, at his peak um, but he's definitely picking up the ball and taking on responsibility in a similar way and as far as their Potential goes well. I'll ask you for what you think, but I maybe I was getting caught in the hype a little bit at the weekend because it was so good. But considering the standard of the opposition, and also considering I think this was the first time that they started what I think is their their strongest attacking lineup Real Sociedad, which is you know he's like through the middle with Porto there as with uh, Yerseba and with Urigar. Uh I was thinking, okay, maybe could this be the best team since the the team that got to fourth place and got to the Champions League? I don't know. What do you think?
1: I think it's, it's too early to say uh, and I think the doubts for me is still there that the team is, is so so young but one of the things that I think we need to talk about as well when it comes to Real Sociedad that we, we haven't mentioned yet is that Nacho Monreal uh, played his first match and I think yeah. that is such an important signing for them because with having such a young team getting a player like him who has the experience and, and is such a veteran player mm. uh, and I think he did an incredible match as well I think for me uh, what stood out the most in this match was to see see him see other and and also isaac and how he handled his his first start for for else's and um and that's also gotten on, on the score sheet as well uh so i think for me that is the key signing for them um that they, they just got before the the window closed and with that i have more expectation bigger hopes for him i would say because mm. the the thing that worries me with them is simply that it is such a young and in some ways yeah. inexperienced team, but at the same time they have very young players who also have a lot of experience, like Odegaard, like Oyarzabal. Um, and the problem I think with Oyarzabal that has been that he's been expected to become the leader, become the new Sabi Prieto in, in that sense, which is way too early yeah. for him. Uh, and now he is older than Odegaard actually, but in a way it feels like Odegaard is more ready for taking on the role of being that the leader on the pitch that, that they need and then I think that would help Boyar Sabal to, to not feel the yep. same pressure and be able to uh, to perform on a better level in, in that sense as well. So, so That's why I think with the signing of Nacho Monreal, um, I think that makes a huge difference for them. Um, and I'm hopeful, and I think if they can continue from what they've started, because they've started really good, especially with this match, and if they can build on that, they then they can do something really good this season.
0: I feel like Monreal is actually quite an underrated signing, not that big a deal was made about it mm-hmm. but i mean you look at it already i think it's the the cherry on the cake of a really good transfer window for them and if you compare how they they played at the back uh at the weekend against atlético madrid to how they've played in defense before it's like night and day so you can already see how that experience is going to make a big difference as far as playing at the back goes uh valencia seem to have forgotten how to do that but that's understandable when you sack your coach a few days before barcelona uh ugh. I mean, I don't even know where to start with this. We'll get to the actual game itself, but were you surprised? I don't know if I was surprised that Marcelino went. I was surprised the way it happened, the timing of how it happened, because a few days before you go to the Camp now, and then you play Chelsea, it seems like the worst possible time, but this has been boiling under the surface for a while. I don't know about you, but I feel like it's a real shame because it felt like Valencia had finally found some stability that was fitting of the, the size of club they are. And now I don't know uh, what your prediction is, but I suspect it's all just going to go to pot again.
1: Well, I think Valencia's keep on doing a Valencia. I'd so say it, every time it feels like now we have Valencia have a really good team, and they they actually could uh, get some stability and could compete with with the top teams. Then they always go and, and destroy it for themselves. It's never anyone else. It's always the club itself. In in this case, in, in the last few years, uh, the big problems. Uh, I think everyone agree on have been uh, the owner Peter Lim and in this case it's just I think he's just shooting himself in the foot to be honest because obviously it's good for him if it goes well for Valencia uh, but he seems to be a guy who want to show that he has the power that he's the one who decides and if if people don't agree with him or or listen to exactly what he says he needs to put down his foot and and show them I think that's what's happening here and it's just such a dumb move for him himself as well because uh, it's his club and he obviously, we wanted to go good for them. And this is just destroying any hope, I think, that Valencia have for uh, for being able to compete for real in La Liga this season.
0: It's hard to see how they turn it around. I mean, I think I wrote this in my column uh, last week, but it, it feels like it's, we're not on the inside, so, so we don't know for sure the details. But considering what's been said, there's been silence from more or less from Peter Lems camp and Marcelino gave a press conference and explained. And when he said that the owner wanted him to essentially throw the Copa del Rey out the window because he believed that and uh, trying to pursue that as well they would not finish fourth at the same time. Valencia then go on and of course they finish fourth and they win the Copa so essentially you've proven Peter Lim wrong he's saying no actually I, I was right I was right to defy you and look the fans look at how happy they are how much they, they love me and I think that Marcelino is the most loved Valencia coach as far as I can remember since Benitez it's hard not to feel like, like Peter Lim's ego was damaged and that's really what provoked this sacking more than anything because there's no sporting reason to do it he is by far the most successful coach that's been at, at least since Unai Emory and you could argue that in two seasons to finish fourth and win a trophy makes him even more successful than him so there's no justification other than that he simply just didn't like the way he was doing things and was waiting for an opportunity I think it's a real shame but I have a funny feeling that Marcelino is going to come out of this a lot better than Valencia um, in the, the short term but we'll find out wherever he ends up next. Um, Barcelona, I think this was... The the problem with Barcelona is it's difficult to judge because they're playing against a team who, we've just explained, has completely been torn inside and out in the last few days before the game. Uh, so the standard of opponent is maybe not quite up to the level we would expect from Valencia. But I think in, in the midfield it was their most competent performance in a while, and of course we can't really avoid talking about the kid that everyone's talking about. Ansu Fati. Well, before we get into the details of why I'm impressed with him, I kind of want to touch on something that maybe you'll be able to chime in on as well, which is that Mm -hmm. how dangerous is it to hype up these kids at Barca excessively when they put in a couple of good performances at a young age? Because we've seen time and time again that they can break through and then suddenly fizzle out if they're not given the right kind of management and attention that you need as a teenager.
1: Yeah, and then uh, there is another... Of course, it's all that. And then it's another uh, thing to it as well that I don't think people think about too much. Uh, And and one uh, good example on that is is Bojan Kierkegaard, who uh, broke through into the Barcelona first team when he was 17 and had this incredible first season where I think he scored 10 goals or something. Uh, And he's hugely, hugely impressive. And what's come up later from... uh, few years later which he's uh, very honestly said in an interview is that he got uh, uh, anarchy attacks out
0: of it i think it's exactly what you said it's a balance so we can we can accept that he looks like a phenomenal talent and i think in his decision making and how mature he seems to be just naturally and it has to come down to genetics to some extent at that age he is by far one of the best young players i've seen playing for barca's youth team for a long time but to go back to the the bojan example i thought that about him too and I said this before in, in other forums, but I, to me, he looked like the most natural finisher that I'd seen in the penalty area since probably like Romario. And he had all of the the raw technical uh, qualities and in some sense, the decision-making qualities to become a, a huge success at Barca. And he did have success, but the, the weight of expectation that comes when you're that age, breaking through at that club was not managed at all. And I don't think he was offered... The help that he probably needed as a kid who's a kid remember 17 year old suffering from anxiety issues which is ex to be expected given the circumstances and maybe barca well i hope that they've learned from that because if it's we're not saying that ansu has anxiety we don't know that but what i mean is that there's a lot of pressure on him already he's on the front page of sport being hailed as an extraterrestrial already which everyone who is in Barcelona knows they're comparing him to Messi because that's the word that's used for Messi so often uh, he's now making international news already and then the next thing that he has to manage is that sooner rather than later he's going to have to drop back down to Barca B and we've seen before with other kids who've had early success it's hard to handle going from playing at the Camp now, scoring, playing alongside Antoine Griezmann or Luis Suarez or whoever it will be, to go into the third division playing in front of no one on a pretty poor pitch. Uh, and some people deal with that better than others. So there's a lot coming up for him. He's already achieved big things, but he'll have to achieve a lot more. Uh, and the club will really have to help him with that. Uh, as for, well, I guess a Scandinavian note uh, <laughs> that sort of ties into Ansu uh, Fati, Daniel Vass will not want to see that kid again anytime soon, man, he had a nightmare against him. Um, he wasn't helped by the fact that the team were disorganised, but wow! Well, some of the things that, he, that the team did to him on the, at the weekend should be made illegal. It was really quite striking how, how good he was at getting the better of him. So I, I don't think that this is a guy who's a seasoned Denmark international Remember, has plenty of experience. Uh, I don't think he'll be wanting to play against him anytime soon. So, moving on. Real Madrid. Well, I think there's not so much we can say about Madrid's performance this weekend, but maybe we can talk about another Real Madrid-related team. Well, the first thing is there's a, a new newsworthy development is that the assembly of socios or assembly of club members have approved the absorption of Fede Tacon, so that will formally happen next season. And then from what I understand, there's also been some positive news on the Swedish side for Tekkon, right?
1: There has. And yes, before we go into that, an interesting uh, note to to be made about Tekkon's match this weekend is that... Last weekend when they played against Barcelona, I think a lot of people saw on uh, on Twitter that was made a big deal of. They were playing with Real Madrid numbers. So this weekend they did not play with Real Madrid numbers anymore. They played with with their black Tacon numbers. So that's just an interesting development. Why no one really knows. It's just a big mess. All of
0: it. Yeah, the shield as well. The Real Madrid uh, crest was on the numbers against Barca and not at the weekend.
1: (laughs) Uh, No, but anyway. So Tacon won their first ever first division match this uh, this weekend they played against sporting huelva who is i would say a mid-table team you could say in, in the spanish women's league but they have a lot more experience than the of, of playing in, in this level so it's a big win and, and very important one i think for takon and from a swedish perspective we had uh, two goal scorers takon won 3-0 uh, sofia jacobson and anna slani both scored and um and Jakobson has been getting a lot, a lot of praise uh, after that match from mm. anyone who's, who's following the, the Spanish uh, Women's League. Um, like, she's basically, Aslani is a big star, of course, but I think uh, Jakobson is the one who, who has been taking the role as the leader of this team, uh, really on the pitch. And has been, she, she's like the heart of, of Tacon at the moment, and is behind yep. basically everything they, they are creating. So that is a really positive note for for our Swedish girls.
0: I've said it before, I'm all aboard the Jakobsen hype train. I said it from the start of the season, I feel like she's going to be perfect for them. I also think maybe it's slightly, not easier for her, but I think the role she plays, which is essentially to pick up the ball in wide positions and then run at people, is maybe slightly simpler at a new team than Aslanis, where she has to really be more at the heart of things. But, I mean, it's it's good news for us. Oh, actually, I should point out there's other uh, Swedish-related Real Madrid news just briefly before we leave them. I, I don't know if you saw this, but you know what I'm going to say, do. don't you? At the uh, at the assembly of socios, which you know is this chance to ask these big questions of your club, uh, some, someone used this turn to point out that Sergio Ramos looks like Sergio Ramos looks like a, a Swedish tourist when he wears his uh, odd choice of hats. I don't know about you, but I've, I've never looked at Sergio Ramos and thought, man, you look like a Swedish tourist. For starters, he has a lot less sunburn.
1: Ne- never happened to me either. Uh, and there is a lot of, of Swedish tourists all over Spain, I'd say, and especially in Madrid and Barcelona. So I guess it's the, the EC is because he looks like a tourist for some reason to make him look like a Swedish tourist. But no, <laughs> like for me, Ramos is not your, your typical Swede, I, I wouldn't say. No, but we can make no. him a Scandinavian, that's alright, we can we can have him play for Sweden, I'm, I'm on board.
0: I'm happy to naturalize him. Alright, so, moving on and moving up the league table, we have to talk about the side that are top of the league.
1: They're from here! So we've changed uh, at the top, Atletico Madrid are no longer the La Liga leaders, thanks to our Scandis, uh, the Gordon Isaac. I'm saying that it's thanks to them, but it's thanks to Real Sociedad. Um, and the fact that Sevilla won uh, this weekend is just a 1-0 win right. Uh yep, so it's not a big exactly. big win but they are doing they're doing things calmly and they are doing things right I'd say.
0: Yep. And I mean the goal as well if you're going to score one goal then it should be like the one that they scored against Alaves. By the way, Yengeleti not in the didn't make it onto the bench even as far as I remember. Um But yeah, it was Juan Jordan uh, who scored it and it was a really nice free kick where there was two Sevilla players on the wall who were shielding. And then at the last moment they ducked down and Jordan puts it right over their head where the goalkeeper can't see and at the top corner it was beautiful. Um, But yeah, Sevilla, quietly I think, discreetly, been really impressive. We've not really given much time to them yet and so it's time to do so. And There's a couple of things I think about. The the first one is that this, this feels like a very good fit for Lopetegui, I think. I mean, this was probably going to be his last chance at a big job if you, and I, I consider the Sevilla job to be a big job for the pressure that it means and for the expectations of winning trophies. But also it's somewhere where there's a structure behind you that you can really work with. Obviously with Monchi being back, it's very helpful. He um, reminds me a little bit, I, I said to you before we went on air um, yesterday, that this reminds me a little bit of the situation that Unai Emery was in when he joined Sevilla, where he'd had this move to Russia and was expected to push on to bigger and better things and it didn't really work out. And then when he joined Sevilla, people were kind of like, okay, Emery, there wasn't a huge amount of uh, excitement or expectation. Uh, And it feels similarly with Lopetegui when he came. There probably wasn't that much excitement from Sevilla fans, but I think they're a lot more excited now. Um, And he's doing a really good job considering how many signings was it? 13 in the end, I think they made in the summer. And they're undefeated.
1: And I think, yeah, we should touch on that a bit as well because we talked about that in the in the transfer podcast about how that might be a doubt for, for Sevilla that sure, Monchi is back and mm. he's always doing incredible signings, but getting 30 new players into a squad can take some time to, to find adaption. But so far they are topping the league and it's in the start where they should be having the troubles to find that adaption uh, and then later like catch up. But they're already up there and I think they, once again, Sevilla are showing that they are one if not the best team at just making players adapt as quickly as possible because most teams especially when you have players coming from who's been playing in other leagues and not been playing in Spain so much it it takes some time and you have to to let it take some time for it to work and here they go sign 30 new players and after four match days they are topping the table That, that for me is just completely impressive.
0: And uh, also it was notable to see that Chicharito got his first uh, minutes at the weekend, so he's not even uh, um, really fully firing yet. I think he can score a lot of goals for them, but that's enough talking about Sevilla for now. I'm sure we'll be talking about him a lot more, but we should stay in the Andalusian capital where you are right now. Uh, you went to Betis yesterday, so we're Monday now, it's su- Sunday. And from what I understand, you got the full Real Betis match day experience, right?
1: Yes, so normally when I go to football matches, I do like you do as well. Uh, I go as a journalist in the press box and everything. Uh, But I decided to give myself the day off and to experience football, the football, the real way, so to say. Uh, So I went with a few friends and uh, a friend from here who is a big Betis fan um, and uh, did the Betico experience. We were at, the match started at nine. We were by the stadium at six. Uh, by the bars around and yeah, Bodion full of Betty's fans, uh, and it was amazing. Just, just like looking around, and because everyone here wears the football shirt when they go to matches, which I love, which it didn't do in the Basque Country as well. Um, and just like looking at all the different type of Betty's shirts, <laughs> because it's like from all the different seasons. And as a football shirt lover, that that's amazing. Uh, <laughs> anyways, so uh, so we had all the the pre. Uh, singing and talking and and drinking beers and then going into the stadium and i have to say that i think i've been to 24 stadiums in spain this is my second time I've been benito vilmarin uh, my first time was in 2014 so it looked a bit different than they've done the renovations uh but this was a match against hua so it's real business with it's not even a real madrid or barcelona it's not a Sevilla derby it's hua um and you go in and it's Incredible atmosphere, completely more or less full stadium. Um, and when they do the Betis hymn, it's not as good as, as the Sevilla hymn. Uh, the Sevilla hymn is the best one, but I think Betis one is probably the second. Uh, and get to experience that live and in that stadium and with those fans during 90 minutes. Uh, I think I've decided that Benito Villamarin is my favorite stadium in Spain.
0: I, I hate the Benito Villamarin, and I'll explain I to you it. why um you might know that i don't know if you do so actually well you and i both went to work at the seville derby last season i guess it was in it was just before semana santa i think actually or maybe just at the start of it um but that day as i was landing because i got there pretty early it was like the only flight was a ryanair flight and i think i landed at like seven in the morning or something but as i was landing i was reading through the paper and then it like i learned or it struck me that on the same day as sevilla Betis at the ramon sanchez pithuan and that morning at the benito Villamarin, there was the women's derby between Betis and sevilla so i was like okay i'm definitely going to go with this and then like you i I wanted to go as a fan as well i didn't want to go to work so i i went there i got my ticket uh from i think i actually may got the ticket online and i turned up at the stadium about 40 minutes before the game was due to start and there it was completely collapsed like i think there ended up being about 30,000 people there but they totally had not planned on there being that many people coming to see it so there was queues all the way around the stadium whatever which was whatever you know it's fine but then when i got in that i guess this is more on me than it is on real Betis, but i'm going to give them the blame for it too i read my ticket and i looked at the, like the area that was supposed to go and i was like okay so I, I scanned my ticket i went upstairs and i like literally stepped out onto the stadium just as the anthem was starting it was like so magical so i stood there and just soaked it up and took it all in and then tried to find my seat and realized that i was in the wrong tier and i'm like oh crap come on it didn't really indicate very clearly what tier i was supposed to be on i think i was in the second tier and it was at the bottom one so then I went out, back out the ticket gate and tried to go into the, the correct tier and my ticket wouldn't scan because already the system felt, thought that I was already in the stadium. So I couldn't get back in. I went and spoke to the stewards and tried to get back in. like They were like, sorry, man, you have to go and buy another ticket. And then just out of stubbornness and principle, I was like, oh, screw this, and like walked out the stadium. So I, I got to see about three minutes of Real Betis at the Benito Villa Marine on derby day there um and I will never forgive them for it because I really wanted to see the rest of the game and as I was walking away and you know the neighborhood around the stadium it's like a pretty residential area with a few bars or whatever so it's, it can be quiet if there's nothing else happening I could just hear the like roar coming out of the side you know the gap between the the stands or whatever with uh, them scoring the first i love goal. that
1: gap by the way uh, uh,
0: yeah well it's an amazing well you can talk it tell the stadium itself is unusual because it was built in like three different stages i guess you could say
1: yeah so when like the first time i was there the stadium was very different from where it's, what it is mm-hmm. now because you had three completely different uh stands which i loved with it uh, to be honest yep. because they were all built in different time periods. I like those were complete different like yeah. types so they look very very different it just look very strange they just put three random stands together um, now they've renovated the stadium so they made it bigger um, and they put it, almost all of it together but actually there is still a gap which for me makes it the Benito Villa Marine because it's such a Benito Villa Marine feeling but I was actually told yesterday that gap is actually only there because they couldn't afford to, to do it all the way. <laughs> Today, so had, had they got it the way they wanted to, then it would be a, completely, uh, a complete stadium, so to say. But then for me, it wouldn't be Benito Villamarín to be honest. No. Like, that, that gap is so important. Uh, but then what makes it is, is completely, it's the atmosphere, it's the fans. Uh, I think everyone can almost, if you're not a Sevilla fan, can almost agree that Betis has the best fans, or at least the top, t- top two, top three uh, best fans in, in Spain. Um, there is a few others that that can uh, that are up there as well, but the, they have some of the best without a doubt and the atmosphere they create. And as I said before, what for me makes it as well is that this is a match against Watafe and I think it's, it can be easy to go to a, to a stadium on a Sevilla Derby, for example, or uh, a Le Cl- in, on a Clásico and say, oh, this mm. is the best stadium because that's the match you went to and it was incredible. Exactly. Um, and I've been to a lot of matches all over Spain and I think another one that stands out for me was when I was at the old San Juan Mes. Uh, when Athletic Club played against Granada. And it was a season, one of the worst seasons of Athletic Club in, in recent memory. Uh, and they were playing against Granada, who bottom of off the table. And the stadium was completely full. And the pre-match atmosphere was like they were playing in Europe. And for me, it's when you go to those kind of matches, when they're playing uh, Granada, um and, and that type of teams, that's when you can really say what level uh, the atmosphere at the stadium really is at. Because that's not the where it's expected to to always be the the one hundred percent top. This shows more like the the normal level. What level it's more or less almost at, and that for me also makes Benito Vilmarín stand out.
0: To start it up a little bit, um, uh, the first time I went to see Sevilla at the Sanchez Pizjuan would have been I guess it was like twenty fourteen, maybe it was twenty thirteen, um, and I went there on a Monday night to a Sevilla Mallorca. I mean, no one likes to play on a Monday night. Mallorca at that stage weren't doing so well so it was hardly a glamour fixture and the atmosphere was amazing. Alvaro Negredo scored a hat-trick I think. Um, someone reminded me of that recently. But yeah, I think both of those clubs, That the one thing that they have and we spoke about this before is that to their fans it's absolutely the most important team in the world um, and just going to see them every weekend or every other weekend is a huge ritual. But we should talk about the game itself.
1: Yeah, just one more thing before we talk about the game that I, I can also mention is that not... You said that you couldn't find your seats when you went there. Uh, I never even looked for my seat because <laughs> we <laughs> stood up the entire match. Because uh, my friend said that's the way he does it every match because then he gets the best view uh, and gets to, uh, like, when something happens, he can run around and jump around and scream and stuff like that. Uh, so that's what we did, which also gave it another type of, of experience. Uh, so, first, you stood. Stood up outside drinking beers at six when the match started at nine and then two hours inside standing up as well. So that's why I'm having my feet in the pool today. <laughs> but it's definitely worth it. I think uh, those, those like kind of small things just changed the, the experience as well. But yeah, going on to the pitch, it, it wasn't the most glamorous football match. But I don't think that's what you're expecting from a uh, Abetti Suetafi either. Um, and it ended up with two penalties, one-one. Um, uh, Juan Mata scoring for Getafe Joaquin for, for Betis but I think that for me the the one thing uh, that I like noted uh, watching Betis live more than anything was how good uh, Fakir is and how too good potentially he is for, for Betis and, and the teammates he has around him at the moment and at the same time how having a really good attack which I think Betis have doesn't always, uh, you don't get so much out of it if you don't really have uh, a midfield or a defense that can back it up. But yeah. I think that's what they are, are at the moment, at least missing.
0: Well, you saw that with Sergio Canales. I mean, they were down to 10 men at that point, but him effectively having to play as a deep line midfielder. And by the way, I thought he did really well. I mean, like there was a lot asked of him at that point because uh, William Carvalho had been sent off. Um, but that that's not where you want him to be. They should have more options in that area of the pitch, and they don't. It feels like a really top-heavy team. And the other thing is, I think the defence, there's always questions about the best defence, but they were really, really lucky. I think it was Barajanek who absolutely clobbered Jaime Mata, and Jaime Mata, you, you wouldn't have, probably wouldn't have seen it in the stadium, but his eye was bleeding afterwards. Oh, really? And yeah, it was a, it's a stonewall penalty. I have no idea how it wasn't called, so they were pretty fortunate about that. But, I mean... Betis continue to be Betis in the sense that they're always worth watching. Uh, they can be sometimes frustrating to watch, but they're always worth tuning in to see because you never know what might happen. Um, I think that, I don't know what the, the feeling was in the stadium, though. but I feel like the fact that they fought back, the, the fact that they, they drew level, and the fact that they were the dominant team in the end will have been something of a boost because I think had they lost this, then the pressure would really have been on Ruby. I think now yeah. that they showed some guts and some spirit and maybe that there's something to build on there that, that can leave the fans a little bit more optimistic. What do you think?
1: Yeah, I think they've had a really rough start and like their next match is Usasuna away at El Sadar, So they're having really difficult matches coming up as well. And had they not gotten any points from this match, it would have been a really tricky situation. It's still early, but it puts a lot of pressure. I still think that the that the ruby would will probably have some extra space because he was appointed by catalan who is the one who mm. uh fired serr ferrer uh who was a favorite among the fans but so therefore he is his man and he really needs it to work out so he's going to give him extra time uh but as soon the fans turns against uh, at the club like Pet- Betis, as soon the fans turns against the coach then you're going to be in a really really tricky situation because the pressure is going to be huge um, so I think that was very, very important to for them to get that point. And just as you say that they, they fought back, it gives you another feeling at the end of the match, even though there was still a like, disappointment because they always want to win um, and, and the fans are very, very passionate. But uh, you could still feel like they weren't as upset leaving the match as they were during the match. Uh, and one thing that, that for me struck out watching the match live as well um, and a player that I, I really enjoy watching on the pitch but watching him uh, not on the pitch was Joaquin because he was this is things you don't see when you watch on tv Uh, but so when he had been subbed off he didn't sit down on the bench a lot I can tell you he was out (laughs) screaming and shouting and like being all over the place in the technical area and and just going Joaquin crazy uh, which was lovely to to see that he's not losing that passion at all.
0: Yeah, and I think, I don't know if I got the number right, but it's something like the 17th season that Joaquin has scored um, in La Liga, I think. I think it's including his time at uh, Malaga and Valencia. His time at Malaga, remember that? That's one that you don't often think about. But um, yeah, I mean, he's a legend. Uh, I think game number 400, that kind of went disappeared, but game number 400 for Betis, I think it was yesterday. Yeah. but we'll see how much longer he can go on, especially as an insomniac. Uh, it sounds like your trip, though, down to Andalusia was well worth it. I think we should say as well that this is one of the things that hopefully will that will set us out from some other podcasts and that we've we've been around a lot of these grounds in Spain and we'll continue to try and go around and see people in the flesh because it really makes a difference. And you just can't get the same feel for for what it means to, to, to support whichever club it happens to be for what it means to play in their stadium, unless you've actually been there. It's a completely different thing watching it on TV as it is seeing it. Um but anyway, that's plenty for this week, I think. We've got I think every Spanish team's involved in the Champions League. Uh this week we'll next Monday we'll definitely look back on that and see how they got involved with some huge games. Obviously Barca against Dortmund being one of them. Real Madrid PSG Atletico Juventus it's, Valencia-Chelsea, is actually incredible how many quality games there are. Uh, and then we'll also look back on next weekend's uh, La Liga fixtures, where there's plenty to think about too. For the moment, the table is not how you would expect it to be come the end of the season. Sevilla top, Betis closer to bottom than anywhere else. There's plenty of time for that to change yet. So any final words from Seville, from the Andalusian capital, Alexandra Johnson? Uh,
1: no, but I think it's time for a dip in the pool. <sighs>
0: Oh. and on that <laughs> note you're dead to me and we no longer talk so thanks to everyone for listening and I guess it's time to say hey to all them hey to, adios hasta la vista adios <laughs>